Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We have, I think, uh, a very interesting topic for our conversation today, Francis and I. And how are you, Francis? Looking mm-hmm. forward to this conversation with you. I'm so blessed to be here, and I am looking forward to having this conversation with you. <laughs> well, today we are going to talk about a subject that, in all fairness, I think does not get a sufficient amount of uh, exposure or um, communication in our church, and that is the topic of heaven uh, it's something we should think about with some consistency. Some of our saints, in fact, encourage us to think about it often, especially when we are in the midst of trials and struggles and so forth. And so we're going to spend our day, uh, our conversation today talking about not just the glory and the beauty of heaven, some of which is reflected in the words of our own saints, uh, but also what we need to be doing today to prepare ourselves for entry into heaven. And then lastly, um, with the affirmation of our saints and uh, the confirmation through their own writings, the reality that heaven is something that can be experienced today. Uh, many of our saints share this very fact with us, and there are um, volumes of literature written about near-death experiences where numbers of people relate um, these encounters. And it's remarkable, Francis, in a book that I just recently read called Imagining Heaven, the consistency not only among the experiences of those who may be documented in the last many uh, years, say the last 25 or 30 years, but even going back as far as the Middle Ages where um, what we now believe to have been NDEs, near-death experiences, um, and people who um, went to heaven, uh, how consistent those experiences are with what we're hearing about in the church today. And I recently read a book about a neurosurgeon and you know, he's coming from a very scientific medical um, experience, but he had a near-death experience, and, and what he shared was uh, very encouraging and inspiring um, and will help skeptics. So um, at any rate, let's, let's begin our conversation, Mark. Well, I'm going to ask you to begin us in or lead us in prayer as we begin. Of course, that's how we like to begin every program. It is really and going to end up being the centerpiece of our preparation for entry into heaven. Um, and so let's begin that way today. All right, this is called the Prayer of Heaven, and it actually enjoys an imprimatur. Um, it was written by Monsignor Charles Mangan. So let us get quiet, and let us begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My God, I adore you, and I love you. Through the hands of the Madonna, with your grace and help, I accept from you, O Lord, at the unexpected hour, any kind of death as it will please you to send me, and I ask of you the grace not to have fear of death. Please forgive all of my sins. I accept my death in union with the sacrifice that you, O Jesus, high and eternal priest, yourself made on the cross, and that now you renew on many altars. I intend to offer to you my death in the spirit of the holy masses, which at that moment will be celebrated, And I offer you your infinite merits to pay for my sins and the penalty of purgatory. Saved by your blood, through your merits and those of your mother, I ask you the same mercy granted to the good thief, namely the grace to enter immediately with you into paradise and to have immediately the perfect beatific vision of God. Thank you, Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Well, just uh, building on the theme, and thank you, Francis, for leading us in that inspiring prayer about our preparation for heaven, our eventual uh, entry into heaven. But building on this theme of the saints uh, encouraging us to think about it, I happen to uh, read in the Magnificat today. Many of you, no doubt, read the Magnificat, the Daily Reflections. Scripture readings, of course, are in it. Um, a shortened version of both morning and evening prayer. But today's saint is Saint Braulio of Saragossa. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. And one of the things he talks about when we go through suffering and trial in our life, he says um, that it all must be tempered by hope. And he goes on to say, for the Christian ought always to live in anticipation of eternal life. You know, we need to adopt an eternal perspective on every aspect of our daily life. We need to see all the events and circumstances that occur to us throughout the course of the day in an eternal context. And I would contend that if we were able to do that, um, it would minimize the suffering and the, the difficulty that we so often experience as we go through trial. We see them in a temporal vein and we see them in a worldly vein, and they can at times be somewhat overwhelming. Um, if we put them in an eternal context and realize uh, that God has already worked all of this out, Romans 8, 28, uh, all things work to the, to the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, reminds us that it's all been worked out. Sure, we're going to have difficulty, we're going to have trial, but we need to see that in the context of an eternal resolution that God is bringing about in our lives. And you speak of eternal resolution, and here we are in January. It's only January 11th when we're talking about this, Mark. And so fresh on many people's minds is New Year's resolutions. Mm -hmm. So I propose and make a spiritual challenge that we all adapt for our New Year's resolution and our life resolution to please God, love Him, so that we may get straight to heaven. (laughs) Amen. You know, Joe, uh, before we get into the serious part of our conversation, uh, I know you've gave, given us a wonderful introduction there, but I have this wonderful joke <laughs> that I want to share. I'm all about holy humor, so go because, ahead. Because, you know, it, it kind of gives us an idea of how some people think about heaven, and so um, and we're going to be talking about heaven. So I, I thought, okay, let's, let's talk about this. There's an 85-year-old couple. They were married almost 60 years, and they died in a car crash together. And uh, they had been in good health the last 10 years of their life, mainly, you know, because they were uh, health fanatics and they exercised and everything. Uh, but this car crash came along. Um, so when they reached the pearly gates, St. Peter took them to their mansion. And Mark, it had a beautiful kitchen, a master bath suite, jacuzzi, and they oohed and they awed and they asked St. Peter how much this was all going to cost. And of course, St. Peter says, well, it's free. This is heaven. So then they check out the golf course, and, you know, every day the golf courses would change, so there were more challenges and excitement. And, you know, he said, what are the green fees? And St. Peter says, well, of course, this is heaven. It's for free. So um, anyway, uh, then they go to the clubhouse, and they see the lavish buffet, and they, well, how much does it cost to eat? Don't you understand yet? This is heaven. It's free. St. Peter says, Well, where are the low-fat and low-cholesterol tables, the old man asked timidly. St. Peter lectured, well, that's the best part. You can eat as much as you like of whatever you like, and you never get fat, and you never get sick. This is heaven. With that, the old man went to a fit of anger, throwing down his hat and stomping on it and shrieking wildly. Can you imagine how shocked St. Peter and his wife were? They tried to calm him down and ask, what's wrong with you? The old man looked at his wife and said, this is all your fault. 
If it weren't for you and those blasted brand muffins, I could have been here 10 years ago. <laughs> All right. Cute, cute. Well, we're not advocating that you dump the brand muffins, but right. uh, <laughs> we still have to get through this life, and we might as well do it healthy. But. And heaven is far more than what that uh, little humor was telling you about. Uh, it, it is, and uh, you know, many, um, as I said, referencing the book I recently read, which encouraged in some ways this conversation, uh, but we're going to make reference to a number of saints, uh, Catholic saints as well as Carmelite, specifically Carmelite saints, who themselves had what we today would now characterize as near-death experiences. But first, let's try to establish a little bit of the why for this conversation. I think it's important, and always um, Francis and I try to uh, refer back to Scripture because we must found a, find a foundation for everything that we talk about in a spiritual context within Scripture. And so... Um, we're going to listen to Matthew in, the, in his gospel encouraging us uh, for this preparation that we just mentioned. So this is Matthew 24, verses 42 through 44. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on which day your Lord will come. Be sure of this. If the master of the house had known the hour of night when the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and not let his house be broken into. So too... You also must be prepared, for at an hour you do not expect the Son of Man will come. The Son of Man will come. We don't know, uh, like the couple in Francis's uh, holy humor, when the Lord will come for us. We can rest assured, since it's never been proven that anybody has lived forever in this world, uh, that in fact the Lord will call for us one day. Now, um, whether that's in the context of a larger spiritual event or our individual passing, uh, we can uh, be assured, as I say, that it will come for us. And so for that reason, we should always be prepared. We should always think in, in the context of the eternal and see everything uh, in that vein. And of course, there's another perhaps more encouraging reason that we should focus on the glory of heaven, and that is that it does give us this consolation, this peace about the eternal nature of our existence here in the world. And this comes from John 14, verses 1 through 3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You have faith in God. Have faith also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If there were not, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and take you to myself, so that where I am you also may be. Now, those are the Lord's words from John, of course, um, speaking directly to us, reminding us that he is preparing a place for us. It's very individual. He doesn't say it in a general sense. Yeah, I'm going to prepare an auditorium. He says, I will be preparing a house for you. You know, many believe, um, and it's reflected in this book that I just referenced, uh, that there is a actual place called heaven and that we will go there and we will reside. And uh, at some point, I don't want to get into the um, eschatology or the the uh, theology of heaven, uh, but but many believe we'll reside in our physical bodies at some point, and we will in, ha in fact have physical homes there and so forth. Uh, interesting, but but not exactly the church's perspective, the Catholic Church's perspective, which we'll share just briefly in a moment. But what's important here is that the Lord is individually preparing a place for us, and that we are on this journey, remaining awake and prepared. And what we want to talk about is this glory and beauty and majesty of heaven but also, what is it that we're doing now to prepare ourselves? And I'll say there's a third piece to this, and that is the reality that so many sh saints have shared with us, Francis, that we can experience this heaven. It has been 
true for some saints, that we can see this vision even today, even before we depart this world. What encouragement that should give us, those of us who are on a contemplative journey, an encounter with the living God, the realization that he may in fact reveal his glory to us even before he calls us home. And you know, when we pray the Our Father, that should give us some consolation just in the first few words, Our Father who art in heaven. Exactly. Jesus wouldn't say heaven if heaven doesn't exist. So in some way, far beyond our understanding or our capacity to understand in this life, there is heaven and our Father is there. You know, I want to give just one example of a Carmelite saint, and I want to use her for a couple of reasons. Frances, the fact that you're teaching on her right now in our uh, continuing studies group, our advanced members of the Carmelite community in our Dayton uh, community, uh, we are teaching on, Francis is teaching on Miriam, the little Arab. Now, you may recall that we had done some programming on her some time ago. And, and, and then we caught her, she's canonized May 17th, St. Right. Mary of Jesus Crucified. Right, and, and that was uh, uh, the next part. We followed up when she, in fact, was canonized. And there are a host of reasons. I know, Francis, you could reiterate them in detail as to why we think the church has uh, raised her to the altars at this time and the significance and impact she may have on the church. But I wanted to just read um, what really, for all intents and purposes, in her life constitutes a near-death experience. It happened um, sometime after she was violently attacked and injured. Her throat had been uh, cut, and uh, she was ultimately uh, healed by the Blessed Mother by her direct intervention. But here's what she experienced in the midst of that a trial in that time. Uh, she's asked whether, in fact, she experienced a particular judgment. This was by um, the superior of the convent she was living at the time. And she says, oh, no, but I did find myself in heaven. I saw the Blessed Virgin. I saw the angels. And I saw the saints receiving me with great kindness. And I also saw my parents in their company. I saw the brilliant throne of the Most Holy Trinity and Jesus Christ in his humanity. There was no sun, no lamp. But everything was bright. It was full of light. Then someone said to me, You are a virgin, it is true, but your book is not finished. We are reminded of this description of heaven even in the Apocalypse by St. John. And it's important for us to realize that this is something that she experienced before her ultimate death and is true for many of our saints, and it should encourage us. Now, in the case of uh, Miriam the Little Arab, uh, St. Mary Crucified, it was the beginning of a remarkable journey of faith and also of contribution to the church, which goes on to this day and, in fact, has been uh, elevated as a result of her canonization. Um, but, but it's true for many of our saints, and I think um, encouraging in both um, our most difficult times and also in the realization of what our final destination is in this world. Now, at, at one time, Cardinal Ratzinger authored a book, our, our former Pope Benedict, uh, when he was Cardinal Ratzinger, authored a book called Eschatology, Death and Eternal Life. It was actually published in 1988. And he encouraged that we should not necessarily depict heaven as simply an extension of this life that just gets better, uh, where lions lay down with the lambs. Um, and in fact says that we should not necessarily think of heaven as a place, but more as a state of being. Not a state of mind, but a state of being, a different existence. Um, and I want to... That kind of reminds me of St. Teresa of Avila in the Seventh Mansion stating that we are, even when we sin, we are in God, that you know, we are immersed in God. And of course, in the Holy, 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 um, heaven and earth are full of your glory. So we are 
created by God. Everything around us is created by God. We are in God. So in a certain sense, I can see this state that Pope Benedict uh, referred to um, in, in, a, in a little bit better understanding and a little bit better light. Yeah, uh, but we don't want to get too deep into the theology, into uh, uh, Cardinal Ratzinger's um, perspective on it. I know both Francis and I, as we just discussed the program beforehand, um, there is a deep theology about heaven, and you can certainly read a great deal about it. Here's what we know. Here's what we know, because this is in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. This is with regard to heaven. Uh, it's often used as somewhat as a cop-out, but it is true. Heaven is ultimately beyond what anyone can imagine. It says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, what has entered into the heart of man, um, what God has prepared for us in heaven. There are certain things, as I said, that we can know about heaven and that we can attest uh, through the writings of our saints and those who have had uh, near-death experiences. Again, the propensity of them uh, increasing dramatically, but the consistency of them, if you've read uh, some of the literature uh, around near-death experiences, is, is really quite striking. From the Catechism, we also read, those who die in God's grace and friendship and are perfectly purified, whether in this life or in the next purgatory, live forever with Christ. Now, in fairness, Francis, we could probably stop right there. That's enough for me. Uh, but the catechism goes on. It says, they are like God forever, for they see him as he is face to face. And of course, we remember God made us in his image and likeness. And, and again, this is the central idea of our conversation the clarity of that vision is what we are discussing. The clarity of the vision um, that we will experience in heaven, and I'll, we'll say more about this later, but it is determined now. But again, from the Catechism, continuing on, uh, and Pope Benedict himself in an apostolic constitution uh, titled Benedictus Deus, uh, written, um, I'm sorry, Benedict, this is Benedict XII, I want to be clear, Pope Benedict XII wrote, by virtue of our apostolic authority, we define the following. According to the general disposition of God, the souls of all the saints and other faithful who died after receiving Christ's holy baptism, provided they were uh, not in need of purification when they died, again, we mentioned pur uh, purgatory, already before they take up their bodies again and before the general judgment, which occurs later, and this since the ascension of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ into heaven, have been our and will be in heaven, in the heavenly kingdom and celestial paradise with Christ, joined to the company of the holy angels. Since the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ, these souls have seen, do see the divine essence with an intuitive vision, even face to face, without the mediation of any creature. At the very heart of this definition of heaven is this idea of beatific vision. Francis prayed about it as we began our conversation today, i.e. the blessed uh, see in heaven, they see God face to face. But what does it mean that the saints in heaven see God face to face? It would seem to contradict 1 Timothy six fourteen through 16, which reads, I charge you to keep the commandments unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this will be made manifest at the proper time by the blessed and only sovereign the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. 
Now, is this a contradiction? I want to also um, give credit to Tim Staples, who um, in large part was a source for the beginning of our conversation tonight, an article that he wrote uh, reflecting on heaven. And much of this material that we're taking uh, or sharing with you now is from his article. And I just want to make sure we give uh, due uh, credit to him for that. And he asks this question, Tim Staples does, is this a contradiction? He goes on and says, not at all. First Timothy 6 must be understood to mean either that man is unaided, man unaided by grace cannot see God or that man can never see God with his physical powers of sight, using his eyeballs, in other words. Um, he says man cannot see God in any sense with his natural powers. We know this. The saints and all the blessed can be said to have seen and that they do in fact see the divine essence with a directly intuitive intellectual vision. There are uh, multiple biblical texts, of course, that bear this out. For example, Revelations 22.4. And there shall be no curse anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. And then there's 1 Corinthians 13.12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part... Then I shall understand fully, even as I have been fully understood. Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We know this. And 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This vision of God, again, is not to be understood as seeing God with human eyeballs, God is pure spirit, and as such, we cannot be seen uh, by our human faculties. This vision of God is a directly intuited intellectual vision. Think about it this way. Matthew 18.10 tells us that the angels behold the face of God, yet they don't have eyeballs at all. They are pure spirit as well. So how do they see God? Well, they see him with this intellectually, uh, intellectual, directly intuitive vision. And, of course, when I think of angels, Mark... I see them like a like a human being, but wings. <laughs> so, so when I was reading this commentary, I was like, "What?" And of course, it, you know, I know that they are pure spirits, but they do manifest to us in a way that we can see. Yeah. Uh, so that. And, and that's exactly what uh, Tim Staples goes on to describe. He says we use this verb to see, um, you know, like this is in modern parlance, uh, modern language. When someone comes to understand a physics problem, he has to be struggling with, happens to be struggling with, for example, he may say, well, now I see it. That doesn't mean he actually sees it. It's with his intellect that he sees it. Rather, it means he understands it within his mind. This is analogous to the beatific vision. The faithful who endure to the end and are, in fact, saved will, in fact, see God, but with an intellectual vision, a comprehension of God. Each person will see or comprehend God in this beatific vision in accordance with their own capacity dictated to him by his state of grace at the moment of death. And this state of grace is determined by both the gift of God and the degree to which the blessed cooperated with that grace during their lifetime journey. And this is a very important point, Francis, I know we want to stress. In fact, there's a statement that confirms this by Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity when she says in her retreat entitled, I Have Found God, um, this is the quote, Our aptitude for receiving his grace depends on the inner integrity with which we move towards him. And then God, bringing us his gifts, can give himself, imprint on us his likeness, forgive, and free us. 
And of course, I have to tell you, when I'm reading that, I'm thinking of, of Therese, the little flower, and, um, you know, she's not understanding, uh, why there are different degrees of glory in heaven. Um, and so I just wanted to read this little, little quote from her story of a soul. She said, one day I expressed surprise that God does not give an equal amount of glory to all the elect in heaven. I was afraid that they would not all be quite happy. That's where I would have been with them. <laughs> she sent me to fetch Papa's big tumbler, that's her sister, and put it beside my tiny symbol. Then filling both with water, she asked me which seemed the fuller. I replied that one was as full as the other. It was impossible to pour more water into either one of them, for they could not hold it. In this way, Pauline made it clear to me that in heaven, the least of the blessed does not envy the happiness of the greatest. And so, by bringing the highest mysteries down to the level of my understanding, she gave my soul the food it needed. So in other words, each of us will be completely fulfilled. Absolutely, and that's important to stress. Uh, um, you know, Each one of us will experience um, great joy in heaven, great fulfillment, beyond any expectation we could even set for it. Uh, but it is uh, our responsibility now in this life to correspond with grace to the degree that we can. And this, in large part, determines, in addition to the gift of God, uh, the clarity of that vision that we will experience. Well, when we come back from our break, we want to pick up on this theme, both Elizabeth of the Trinity and go back to St. John of the Cross for a moment and, and understand what they had to say about this time of preparation for heaven. A reminder, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Carmelite Spirituality on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be right back. Let there be light, let there be light again For into the dark the sun is sent We will see and we will see once more For unto us the light is born Sword for 
Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. We're having a conversation today, Francis and I are, about heaven, about the reality of it, the glory of it. We've read from some of the saints their own experience of it. Again, we cited that there are literally thousands, I think, by now, Francis, um, na- um, natural death, uh, or I'm sorry, um, near death near experience. experiences. Uh, they are natural, but nonetheless near death experiences where people relate uh, their individual encounters, either with members of their family, with angels, perhaps with Jesus, the Blessed Mother, um, and, and they're inspiring in and of themselves. We, of course, don't rest our faith on them, but in and of themselves, they are inspiring. What matters most, of course, is what do these near-death experiences, the writings of our own saints, and perhaps um, always, in fact, supported by Scripture, tell us that we need to do to prepare ourselves uh, for this encounter, for this um, vision that we read about in the early part of the program. I, I want to read, um, or have Francis, if you don't mind, uh, read from St. John of the Cross, and I'm going to just cite the reference. This is from the spiritual canticle, stanza 38, section 5. We're reading the last couple of paragraphs. Um, and we will see what it is that determines this vision. Remember we said it's an intellectual, intuitive vision. But there is a variation, according to our saints. Most recently we read from Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity, um, her uh, assessment of this uh, clarity of vision. And now we're going to hear from St. John of the Cross. What determines the clarity of that vision? First, just as the ultimate reason for everything is love, which is seated in the will, whose property is to give and not to receive, whereas the property of the intellect, which is the subject of essential glory, lies in receiving and not giving. The soul in the inebriation of love does not put first the glory she will receive from God, but rather the surrender of herself to him through true love, without concern for her own profit. Second, the desire to see is included in the desire to love and already presupposed in the preceding stanzas. For it is impossible to reach the perfect love of God without the perfect vision of God. Thus, the force of this doubt is resolved by the first answer. With love, the soul pays God what she owes him. With the intellect, on the contrary, she receives from him. Okay, so what we take away from, and I appreciate that, maybe a somewhat profound reading from St. John of the Cross. Most of his are, by the way. I have to go back and replay that on the archives. (laughs) What John is saying, quite simply, is, listen, we And we've just spent the, the first 30 minutes here talking about the glory of heaven, the near-death experiences rela- related, um, a, a couple of visions uh, of even Carmelite saints of heaven. Um, and if we only focus on that, John would say, we're missing the point. The, the um, objective is not what we will receive. That's what the intellect focuses on. It's not what we will receive and the images and the glory and so on and so forth. John says that our pursuit of heaven should be centered in the will. Why in the will? Because it is in the will where love resides, and it is love that in fact perfects the will. We know this from from theological teaching, not only of John, but of the church. And so our focus needs to be not on the acquisition of heaven, not on receiving, as John says, but on giving Constantly it is on giving, and it is the degree to which we give ourselves over, that we abandon ourselves to God, that we, in fact, will experience the clarity of that vision. And, and here's an example that I can think of that helps 
bring us some understanding of that. You know, if say you've got a, a military family and say the husband is is out in Iraq um, defending freedoms and you know he's away for what six months, eight months. No, the family at home is longing to see him. So when he comes home. You know, they're not anxious to see what they can get from him. <laughs> they're anxious for his love. Love draws them close. to pour out their love. To pour to out him. their love on them and to rejoice in being together. It is the love. It's the most important. Heaven truly does begin now. This is very important. We have a significant role to play in this final vision, the clarity that we will experience in this final vision. We will experience beatitude, yes. And it is God's gift to us. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But we must work to conform ourselves to the image of the one who God will look to find within us. The one St. Paul said himself, he had become. And who is that but Jesus? So we get from Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity this quote, We will be glorified in the measure in which we have been conformed to the image of his divine son. And this is why, you know, um, feminists shouldn't get upset when uh, the scripture passages talk about him and, uh, and finding him uh, and re- talking about the soul because that's God looking at Jesus within each of us, whether exactly we're male right. or female. Yeah, and it's not, um, you know, this is a difficult discussion. I don't want to go, <laughs> unfortunately, too much into detail because I've been asked this question, well, does that mean I die? No, it doesn't. It means you individually, me, Mark, you, Francis, are perfected to the greatest degree possible that Christ is imaged in us, that Paul said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He had conformed himself to the perfect image of the model that had been presented to him, Jesus Christ. And it's important for us to understand, you know, we talk about prayer, we talk about the contemplative experience of prayer, and Second Corinthians 3.18 uh, gives us a very clear uh, understanding of the importance of our prayer life and of the experience of God and this idea of growing. Here's what it sec- uh, says. Again, Second Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transform- transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. <clears throat> very powerful imagery, but what what Scripture is telling us is in that moment of encounter in contemplation with the living God, we are literally being transformed by the Spirit every moment into an image of our model, Jesus Christ, and we are advancing from glory to glory by every hour that we spend in front of the Blessed Sacrament, at the altar, receiving communion. These are all prayers, even in our own little uh, quiet place at home, uh, in the dark of the evening, as we pray, we are literally being transformed. Now, in fairness, we can uh, detract from that by going out and involving ourselves in the events and uh, activities of the world and being distracted. But um, if we stay the course, if we are in prayer constantly, as St. Paul tells us, then we, in fact, are becoming perfected every hour that we encounter the living God. And, of course, the one who conformed herself to the image of Christ the most would be, of course, the Blessed Mother. Um, No member of the body of Christ will see or even comprehend God to the degree that our Blessed Mother does because she was given the greatest gift of grace among all of mankind and perfectly responded at every moment, while at the same time no human person ever cooperated with the grace of God 
as perfectly as she did from moment to moment, and now through eternity. <laughs> and you know, if you see um, this interiority, the, the uh, interior life of the Blessed Mother, the model for all of us, then with that understanding, we can begin to understand why the church teaches that heaven is not primarily, it, it is primarily rather a state, not a place. You can't travel. You can't go up there to heaven. And the beatific vision cannot be understood as people being in heaven, looking over there and seeing God. Uh, and then if they look away or over there, they don't see God anymore. That's not the case. In fact, God will be ever present. We will ever be present before him. Uh, the blessed will be in a state of comprehension of God that is constant. They can't leave heaven and they don't go back uh, uh, from heaven uh, precisely because heaven is principally this state of being. And again, we don't want to get too much into the theology of it. What we're trying to do is diminish the perspective that somehow uh, heaven is this physical destination uh, that we go to only. Yeah, because in a qualified sense, you know, you it is a place, right? I mm -hmm. mean, because uh, when I first was going over that, I'm like, what? And, and then, you know, we we know that heaven can also said to be a place, but in a qualified sense, like as much as in the end of time, the blessed will have bodies in the resurrection. The resurrection and of course, right. we know the blessed mother did was assumed into heaven body and soul. Um, so in that sense, there is location. Right. So this leads us, I guess, then to that inevitable question. Fine. I understand. It, it's sort of a state of being. It does have a destination. And if it has a destination, it, it, it suggests a location. But what is it really? Well, heaven is principally a state of utter and absolute fulfillment. Again, yeah, we work with Tim my, my little thimble or your big tumbler. <laughs> in the possession of God, in the beatific vision, the blessed, all of us, will experience what cannot be put into words. That's been true, Francis, of every near-death experience that I've ever read. And I know, like you now, I've read hundreds of them myself. No one is ever able to completely articulate it. Our language, i.e. our intellect, simply has too many limitations. And so they say, uh, you know, I can't really describe it. It's a radical state of union with God, and a constant one, as we said, that trans any, transcends anything we could envisage, anything we could imagine. And it is precisely because of that radical state of union with God in Christ that the blessed will also experience a union with other members of the body of Christ, and it too will transcend our ability to imagine. We know we are members of this mystical body of Christ. And that is because St. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 about the body of Christ, and that gives us some inkling of this union. But again, it, it can only pale in relationship to the full truth of the matter. So when we use St. Paul's image, the union of the members of Christ is more radical than the union of my finger here with my hand, <laughs> because it is Christ who makes the members of Christ one. And this is really incredible to think about, you know, that we will be in Christ to the fullest, most perfect way that it's possible for us. And, you know, and we won't be able to sin anymore. I like that part, That too. part I like a great deal. <laughs> you know, we've already spoken about the beatific vision, which is the most important component of this, uh, of what heaven really is. And we saw that in 1 John 3, 2, where it says, We will be like him, like him, for we shall see him as he is. St. Thomas Aquinas also helps us get a sense of the glory of this vision of God when he shows us some of its ramifications. According to the angelic doctor, St. Thomas Aquinas, that's his uh, title, our intellects will be so illuminated by God to empower us to be able to see God in a beatific vision 
that an ancillary effect of this empowering will be the comprehension of the whole order of the universe. So take this as an example, Francis. All of the Summa uh, uh, Theologia, Thomas, uh, of course, the author of that, and all of his other works, Summa Conjentra and so forth, um, will be given to us in an instant at, at this realization, at this entry into heaven. So that means we don't have to study, right? Right, because every question we ask will be instantly answered. And man, we're going to have a, we're going to have a lot more knowledge, aren't we? Well, we, we could challenge this. Unfortunately, the catechism says the same thing. The catechism seems to concur with St. Thomas Aquinas. In paragraph 1040, actually, the church speaks to this notion of the perfection and elevation of the intellectual powers in heaven. Talk about intellectually sharp. The catechism says this, We shall know the ultimate meaning of the whole work of creation and of the entire economy of salvation and understand the marvelous ways by which God's providence led everything towards its final end. Now, does that mean that we have to have degrees in theology and philosophy and and uh, mystical theology that we have to understand metaphysics and you know all of the various academic disciplines. No, it will be given to us. But in fairness, it will be given to us in the context uh, in which it is most meaningful. So many in our world today acquire uh, knowledge for a number of uh, different purposes. Some of them not entirely admirable. Um, but what Saint Thomas and the Catechism again concurs are saying to us here is that in heaven. We will be given all knowledge about God's working, why the universe was created, the way in which it was created. You know, Scripture tells us, uh, Christ tells us that in that moment, we won't ask him anymore about the events of our life. You know, one of the stories, Francis, that you're going to come across, and I'm sorry, but I'm going to spoil this one for you because it's important, I think, for our conversation, is a story about a woman who lived a very difficult life. I won't share that part of it with you. She, she suffered a great deal in her life, and she had a near-death experience, which I also won't provide the details of so that you don't know when you get to that story where it's going to end, but I'm going to give you the end. Um, she ultimately does experience Christ in her near-death experience. He, he uh, reveals himself to her and, in fact, reveals himself in his glory, as you would expect in heaven. And what shocks her what she's so taken aback by is her own reaction, not Christ's reaction. She's aware of everything that she went through in her life. She's aware of all the trials, all the challenges, all the difficulties. But in that moment of encounter with Christ, she asks herself this one question, not why did this happen, why did that happen, why did I endure this? She asks herself this one question, and I suspect that we are all going to ask ourselves exactly the same question when we stand before our Lord. She says to herself, why did I not serve you better throughout my life? Mm -hmm. You know, right. St. Augustine talks about coming to this realization so late in life and, and having wasted so much of his life. So many of the saints share with us uh, this sense of remorse at having wasted so much of their life. If they wasted an hour as they stand before the Lord, they're going to have this uh, sort of realization, not leading to despair or, uh, or discouragement, but just a sense of, Oh, I could have done so much more and for that, you. And that reminds me of St. Teresa of Avila in the soliloquies. Um, she has a prayer that is referred to as uh, the prayer to redeem lost time. And and so I often pray that because I feel like that many times. And and another point is that as we were talking about the intellect and all this knowledge and stuff, uh, you know, just a few weeks ago we were talking about how faith uh, supersedes the intellect. Perfects the intellect. Right? Yeah. yeah. Perfects it. We get We learn more through faith 
than through the intellect. Although, you know, we have a, a certain amount of intellect, but faith goes beyond it. So in heaven, we, we won't have to exercise faith anymore. It will have been perfected and fulfilled. And so, uh, you know, that just kind of helps me, uh, go to that next level of what's this intellect and, and the faith that is fulfilled and how that will play out. It, it, I mean, it's mind boggling to think about, but you know, um, one thing I look forward to in heaven is that, you know, what a comfort it'll be that, you know, whoever I've lost, uh, who have passed before me, uh, I will be able to see them again, you know, because we will find out in a way that we never understood here on earth how God does make all things work together for good to those who love him, as St. Paul says in Romans eight twenty eight. Yeah, it's very important that we have these scripture verses at the ready, and so many, uh, both saints and, and um, blesseds and servants of God have given us encouragement uh, in this regard. I'm actually going to read from uh, today's reflection, today's meditation on the scripture, again from the Magnificat, a wonderful uh, uh, work, by the way, if you're not familiar with the Magnificat, I encourage you as one of your devotions to, uh, to look into it. Uh, servant of God, Madeleine de Briel, uh, says today um, in this reflection on Scripture, if you love the kingdom of heaven with genuine love, you will rejoice in the fact that your understanding is at a loss in the face of the divine, and you will try to have more faith. So just in keeping with what Francis just said, you know, we should not become overwhelmed by the things in our life that confuse us, that don't seem to have um, um, resolution, if you will, uh, in our daily activities, because God is keeping all of these things, and they all work together for our good, as Romans 8.28 says. Francis just read that. We must keep faith in that fact, and it will lead us to a sense of um, abandonment in, into the hands of God and acceptance of his will. And as was brought up in our conversation yesterday, Francis, in community, somebody said, the most difficult thing for me to um, accept is that every if we are prayerful people, and we must be a prayerful people, but if we are a prayerful people, every single thing that happens to us is the will of God. Right. It's only sin that is not God's will, and we're responsible, and we control that. Uh, everything else is his will. doesn't mean that he wills us a pain and suffering, but he wills our perfect perfection and um, conformance to the image of his son, and sometimes that requires suffering. And, you know, we learn a lot through suffering, far more than we learn through our joys. So let us remember that. But you know, there are four bodily gifts that await us in heaven um, at the end when our bodies and our souls are united, because at first it's just our souls, right? Mm -hmm. And then in the final uh, resurrection, um, then all of us together will receive our bodies. So there are four gifts, though, so we might want to bring those into yeah, give something else to look forward the, to. The Catechism of uh, the Council of Trent, referring again back to St. Thomas Aquinas, gave us these four characteristics of heaven. Um, and the first of those is subtlety. This is the gift of absolute subordination of the body to the soul. This is something that we should be practicing today um, very um, uh, diligently, in fact, perhaps the best example of it. Francis, something you and I have talked about recently, fasting. Fasting subordinates the body to the soul. The order that was established by God, by the way, it's what we sort of got reversed um, in, in the garden. But um, subtlety in, in, in um, heaven will be a great gift of ours. Yeah, we want to master our bodies, not be a slave to our bodies. The, the second one would be agility. 
Um, in Acts 1-9, Jesus ascended up to heaven right before the very eyes of the apostles. And in fact, according to St. Thomas, the blessed in heaven, even after receiving their bodies in the resurrection, will be able to travel at the speed of thought in the wink of an eye. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> yeah, we can think someplace and be there instantaneously. Also, the third is impassibility. In simple terms, that means the ability um, uh, or the, the inability to suffer. We, of course, won't die any further, yeah, but we no also more suffering. won't suffer. Yeah. I'm Woo-hoo. okay with that. <laughs> Indeed, the bodies of the blessed will not only be immortal, but no sickness, any imperfection will be possible. I'm okay with that because I have a lot of imperfection. So I'd like all of those removed. And the fourth one is glory. Um, the blessed in heaven will be glorified like Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. The righteous will shine like the sun. And I'm thinking of Moses, you know, and uh, he, he was a, a prototype uh, of what that glory looks like. And, of course, the, feast, uh, the mystery of the transfiguration of Jesus where his face shone like the sun. Well, I want to say one last thing before we close in prayer, and that is, um, the importance, as we've mentioned a couple of times, of this reality that we can experience this encounter with God today. Of course, it'll be um, provided to us in a way that God deems most appropriate, um, and it is um, uh, obviously consistent with how God may want to work with us, but he invites us to this. We as contemplatives are invited to this encounter. I want to read just briefly a reflection by St. Simeon, the new theologian, um, his Uh, one of his encounters, in fact, uh, with Christ. He says, in the midst of that night in my darkness, think of the darkness of uh, the dark night of St. John of the Cross. He says, I saw the awesome sight of Christ opening the heavens for me. And he bent down to me and showed himself to me with the Father and the Holy Spirit and the thrice holy light, a single light in three and a threefold light in one. For they are all together light and the three are but one light. And he illumined my soul more radiantly than the sun. And he lit up my mind, which had until then been in darkness. Think about what we uh, reflected on a moment ago regarding the realization of all knowledge. Never before had my mind seen such things. I was blind, you should know it, and I saw nothing. This was why this strange wonder was so astonishing to me. I could go on. St. Simeon, uh, Simeon wrote many uh, poetic reflections on his uh, mystical encounters with God and with, with heaven. Um, and they're very encouraging to read, and so I encourage us to think about that. He wrote them because he experienced them and, of course, came back to the world and was able to share them with us. It is an opportunity available to all of us. Francis, uh, encouraging conversation. I hope our listeners take away the encouragement that we share and experience uh, over these reflections. And I'm going to ask if you wouldn't mind closing us in prayer. And I just want to remind you about that New Year's resolution spiritual challenge. Strive for heaven. Love God so much that you will be in heaven with him. This comes from St. Teresa of Avila, from her way of perfection. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Deign, O Lord, to grant me the experience of true love before you take me from this life. For it will be a great thing at the hour of my death to realize that I shall be judged by one whom I have loved above all things. I shall be able to meet you with security certain that I shall not be going into a foreign land, but into my own country, for it belongs to the one whom I have loved so truly and who has loved me in return. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, again, I hope you take some consolation, encouragement, and peace from this conversation that we've had today. 
Um, we'll be back with you next week. In fact, Francis will have a special guest in studio talking about the uh, entry into the Carmelite Order and preparation for that. And I think that'll be a very interesting program. I encourage you to listen in. A reminder that you have been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Carmelite Spirituality on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Until we're with you again next week, God bless. Thank you.